Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. Our very special guest is Marina Perkis. Marina, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I understand that the Brexit debate was what galvanized and ignited your interest in politics. But what were you doing prior to that? What was what was your main sort of focus for your time? Anything probably <laughs> anything that wasn't politics. I was just so apathetic to politics. I wasn't interested at all. And this is going right into my mid 20s. Um, and I was working in the city and um, I just didn't have I didn't have any clue. I didn't have what, any. What were, you, what were you doing in the city? Does that I was actually working for. Am I allowed to use company names? Yeah, by all means. Okay, I was working for Sky, um, and I was working in their marketing department for their their um, online trading team. Um, so I should have had a bit of a, an interest, especially given you know, the, the backing of the company. But uh, I just wasn't. It just wasn't on my radar at all. And I think for as long as I you know, had ever even thought about politics, it was always something for someone else, for other people. Um, so distant from my life, didn't impact me or I didn't at least see the impact um, until, of course, that 2016 Brexit referendum vote. Right. And so obviously from your point of view, it all went wrong. From others, it all went right. What was it that you thought went wrong? And why did it go wrong in your in your opinion? So I think what happened was I, like many others, took for granted EU membership. Didn't really again have much clue about it, what it meant, the value that we derived from it. And so when the ballot, the you know, the, the thing came through the post for me to tick whether we wanted to um stay in or or, or leave the EU, it for me just felt like a, a no-brainer. And I think I made the assumption like many remainers that most people would think the same and and that that assumption was fueled by the media at the time i think it was until do you know what i started to worry in what feels like maybe the the last weeks that's when i remember feeling there was a real ramp up of pro brexit rhetoric uh, and certainly a push in you know right-wing media and I wasn't I wasn't really aware of it before. And that's when it started to get a little bit worrying. And the coverage ramped up and, you know, Farage became the, you know, the TV personality that he is today. Um, and it became a bit of a worry. And I remember waking up the next morning and my husband said, we voted out. And I couldn't believe it. And again, it was, it was strange because I didn't even really know. What did this mean for me? What did this mean for... Um, you know, what, how it's going to impact my life. I didn't know. And I think that there was the beginning of my journey into politics. I'm really sorry, guys. That's my outlook. <laughs> how do I even stop that doing that? Uh, I think you've got to close it down if possible. Okay. Apologies. Okay. Doing that right now. Dumb. Like I'm saying, the, 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 this, this adds to the Delling Pole allure of live, well, not live, well, live recording, if not live broadcast. Oh, right? in that case, you'll be chuffed if my baby starts crying. At yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That'd be perfect. <laughs> that adds to the fact that um, I had, a, I say a lot of time, but I'm obviously not at work. So I have had 
lots more time to invest into the state of our politics, which is why I'm so on top of it and probably which is why I tweet as much as I do and have had the opportunity to get as much traction as I have. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that you, that you say that um, about the perspectives because I, I have to admit, and I've always said that I'm not a big into politics person i'm i'm into the markets and i accept that that part of that is politics and the two go hand in hand and it's interesting that you've got a city background as well and you understand the markets too so we may come on to some of those subjects if we have some time but i i personally saw um in the biggest sort of heaviest hitting outlets like the bbc and from the government themselves david cameron saying you know, I'm voting Remain and the government saying, you know, we're basically all voting Remain and, you know, you should do the same. And the BBC basically, you know, swinging its bat in the way it did, which was for Remain. So for me, it didn't feel like that there was a big campaign that was big enough to offset that agenda. And what, what we got was what people kind of wanted, but let's, let's be honest. It was a, it was close. It wasn't. It wasn't as though it was a landslide on either side, which kind of left everybody with a feeling as as though, you know, it it's was like unfinished business. Unfinished business. Perfect way of putting it. Indeed, and don't forget, so many people, you know, that that was a, a protest vote. They didn't even know quite what the repercussions of that were going to be. It was a protest against the current government. It was a protest against anything they were basically unhappy about with their lives or with the state of politics. I think no one really met or understood, especially those protest voters, what was going to be the follow-up to their to their vote. What, what do you think that they missed? Because I heard that as an argument many times, mm-hmm. and it seemed like, well, if if you're saying that people didn't know what they were voting for, you could use that for both sides. You could say people didn't really know what they were voting for remains. So it's it didn't that argument doesn't hold as much water as as, as perhaps it, it might. In, well, certainly not in my view, because... You I, mean, can, you, vote for the, I mean, I disagree there, Paul. Yeah. A vote for the status quo, yeah. a vote for what we've had since our membership, since we joined the yeah. EU, that feels pretty... You know, I, like like I'm yes, fair enough. I didn't know the benefits of the of the EU, but to re- vote to remain is a a vote for things to say to stay as is. Oh yes, absolutely. And and but we didn't, and therefore we didn't join we didn't join the EU. We joined a free uh, uh, European free market, which then morphed into a political union. Mm-hmm. So the goalposts changed on on route to that vote. Correct, and I I do wonder how many people again the people voting out i wonder how many of them actually have any issue whatsoever with that with that transformation from that to that because i don't think i don't think that was ever a problem that was never painted as an issue to leave i think it was probably a hundred other issues a hundred other things that were painted as the reason to leave but i don't think that was one of them so what do you see as the advantages of staying in the eu and where where do we kind of go from here? Because it's happened and we we could go through the autopsy. <clears throat> we could go through the autopsy many times, but it's but it's happened. It's been it's done and we should we move on or or not? Because it doesn't seem like the remainers want to move on. Um, no, and the, the, it's very hard to move on yeah. okay. when we are seeing 
the fallout from Brexit on a daily basis. And well, again, what, 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 to be fair, what we're seeing is the result of perhaps more recent things involving COVID uh, et al. So to blame everything that uh, that's happening at an economic level on, on Brexit is 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 simply not not justifiable. Um, no, it's it's quite possible it's possible that some of these things are reflective of Brexit, but I think it's equally possible that some of these things are reflecting the fact that the government has gone completely mad mm-hmm. in reacting to a basically rebranded flu. Sorry, so you think you think the government is overreacting on its response to COVID, and that's what's caused the issues that some might say are caused from are caused by Brexit. Hundred percent. So, which which issues are those, for example? Which issues are what? Sorry. Which which issues do you think are a result of the government going crazy? The fact that the entire economic infrastructure of our planet has been deliberately crashed over the last eighteen months. I don't think this is any accident. I think this is a concerted act. But we're getting kind of off topic because it's it's getting us away from the Brexit debate. But there's a whole separate debate here, which is what on earth is going on with the economy. And I think that has to do with, obviously, responses to COVID, which I think are a hysterical overreaction. So so the COVID response from our government, um, this is the problem I've got this government. They've always wanted to portray... Uh, this illusion that they're actually doing things in the interest of the economy, but actually, I think we, ha- I think we have a rogue and the economy personally. go hand in hand. I think personally, we have a rogue government now. So, sorry, Marie, uh, could, uh, could, could you just re- could you just repeat your your answer there? Because I, I didn't quite catch it. Me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so this government has continually, uh, you know, they, they've tried to make out that they're doing everything in the interests of the economy to keep the economy afloat. But actually, people and the economy go hand in hand. So everything that this government has done, and, and Tim, you seem to think, you know, they've gone perhaps too far one way. I would say the other. And actually, if they had done things earlier, if they actually followed the science, not like they say they did, but actually followed it to the time scales, for example, supplied by SAGE, then we would have locked down sooner and for shorter periods of time. And if you look at what we're doing right now, what what it looks like we're sleeping in sleepwalking into yet another i don't want to say lockdown i would hate that but why on earth remove the most basic of measures the most rudimentary most easy measures to to implement uh, just to see this spread like wildfire again so we're in a position where a lockdown feels inevitable that to me is a government not doing enough or just always waiting waiting until the 11th hour to be pushed into a plan um, that that was recommended to them probably months prior. That's it's a very interesting point of view because uh, what you're saying here is is two diametrically opposed views that that come to the same conclusion that the government aren't doing the right thing. The government, the government's yeah. full of it. Yeah. Um. And and um. I mean, the way I I see it, I I think the government overreacted i think i didn't think they reacted quick enough at the start when we didn't know enough about what was going on and i then i think they overreacted and didn't necessarily as you say follow the science i don't think that they really looked at all the science that the science has been biased to one way and i i think there's been a um a massive emphasis on on the shortness of how long it would be to solve the problem, which I think was, uh, you know, either insincere or foolish to, to, to say to people that this wouldn't last long. We just got to flatten the curve. 
And then insincere again to say, you know, we're going to vax our way out of it because it doesn't seem to be the way forward either. Um, and and I think that, um, you know, if, if you looked at, if, if we look at other countries that had, um, you know, a different approach, there is other science to be debated. But getting back to um, the, the, the whole issue of, of how we move forward with Brexit. Now, I, I, I'm interested, I'm really interested in your view as, because from my point of view, um, as someone who's been in the markets for a long time, I've seen the problems of a unified currency and how that can ruin the financial markets. I know you you come from a financial from a um, an Italian background, as actually coincidentally my family are as well. And one of the countries that's come under the most pressure prior to uh, or, or you know prior to the creation of the euro was the Italian market. We had the Italian lira that was always weakening um, because of the state of the economy. We've now got that locked into the euro, which has caused massive unemployment in Italy. And, and zero growth for 20 years. And it, it's like, if you look at the stock markets, for example, and I know not everything should be measured financially, but there's no other way of us working out how well the economies are doing. The Italian stock market is one of the worst in Europe. And from what I also understand anecdotally, you know, youth unemployment is at an extremely high level. And I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating if I say 40%. I must admit, I haven't looked up the number, but it, it could be as high as 30% or 40%. To me, that's that's not a European Union that's working. It's certainly not working for Italy or the or you know Spain or Portugal or, or countries like that. It might be working very well for Germany. So the- I don't doubt. Actually, actually, it's a really interesting point, and I agree that you know I've got a lot of family left back in Italy, and um, they are not enjoying the sort of you know career prospects um, that we certainly are. But is that not the point that actually you, the UK? We really were benefiting from EU membership. We actually surrendered a really influential position where we didn't have to even have the euro. We had a a more influential position as well. So we've surrendered that and it was working for us. We've even had um, Lord Frost talking very candidly, as he sometimes does. uh, I think he forgets sometimes who he's talking to. And he talks about the fact that leaving the single market and the customs union is going to see a huge, huge um, hit to GDP. He knows this. So I, I'm not going to pretend that I know anything about the economic, uh, the economics of um, Italy and how this has been impacted by EU membership. But it was certainly working for us. And also, I would I would query whether those issues that, that Italy faces are actually down to EU membership or also, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but Italy is 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 probably up there now as, as a really terribly run country in terms of government corruption. So yeah. I do wonder as well about the, the state of their government. And I think to be fair, the, U- the UK is catching up faster the corruption state. Oh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> possibly overtaken. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, that, that that is such an interesting point because I think what I, I'd heard anecdotally about um, areas of the UK that received a massive amount of funding from the EU and regeneration and all that sort of stuff. And of course, you've got to sit back and listen and say, look, well, they are trying to improve the country and therefore that sounds like a good thing. The thing that worries me about that, though, is what is the price to pay and why couldn't we just do it ourselves? Because they're effectively just spending money by printing it 
and then giving it to countries and then, you know, creating perhaps a situation where we're far more dependent on the EU than perhaps we want to. So we're kind of losing a bit of sovereignty, maybe maybe a lot. And we're seeing this in Poland at the moment where they've received a lot of funding from the EU and now the, the you know, the current uh, either president or, you know, um, the lead politician is 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 actually pushing back very heavily against the EU. So, and they haven't taken the euro either. And they were supposed to a long time ago, and the writing was on the wall that they wouldn't, because you know, again, we we would have these economic Im- imbalances. So, so it's a, it's a very interesting situation that on the one hand, you know, there were some positives within the EU. I didn't think that was enough to to justify the the independence that we could get from being a country like perhaps Switzerland. Now maybe I'm I'm completely sort of delusional and maybe there's something wrong with that argument which I'd really love to hear your your thoughts on because I'm I'm sure you you would counter it with something. So I don't I don't know exactly what Switzerland's setup is. I would have to I'd have to look into that. But the the sovereignty issue so this ability to be a more independent sovereign country i mean this does it sounds wonderful it yeah. sounds you know very patriotic it really appeals to a certain um type of voter certainly but what does it mean what does it actually mean so so far what i'm seeing that we're doing for this newfound sovereignty is that we're sending liz truss out there or when she when she was trade secretary and we're doing a hell of a load of rollover deals which we already had with the EU, and we're just rolling over. Copy and paste job. Literally said that th- these words have been used by Tory spokespeople, a copy and paste. Now, there have been, of course, some new deals. We had the Australia one, yeah. which was, you know, bandied about as this huge success, which then we learned actually fell through, hasn't, hasn't been confirmed. And we're just learning today, well, I think it was yesterday, in fact, of the new New Zealand deal, which is another new one, which has completely sold out our farmers. So these are these are these are what I'm seeing. We're doing. this is what we're doing with our newfound sovereignty. And then, of course, a few days ago, we've had the Tory government vote to allow water companies to release sewage into our rivers. Which and is this completely disgusting. Completely exactly, disgusting. which is something the EU would not allow us to do. This was one of our. The prerequisites of being an EU member state, you did not allow this to happen. And now that we're not. We're free to pour, you know, I'm not mm. going to use the swear. Shit. 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 Okay, fine. I didn't know what kind of content. You can I'm say whatever you like, Marina. It's shit up. Yeah. into our rivers. This is what sovereignty yeah. for shit. That's what we've done. Yeah. So so if you're if you someone comes to me and says, Do you know what? We've got the sovereignty, and what we've done is we've actually been able to bypass, you know, that buying power, for example, that we had with the EU, which again is, you know, if we talk about the energy um, crisis that we find ourselves in, we haven't got that clout anymore. So tell me what this sovereignty does, because at the moment I'm not seeing a single benefit apart from this intangible thing that people love to bandy about, but if you question them about it, they crumble. Well, okay, so so I I, I take what you're saying there. I'm not using the word sovereign in the case of of just saying, you know, we want to make all our decisions and and that's it. We are very close to Europe and we should negotiate some good deals on trade. I mean, we don't make very much of anything. We end up buying it from Europe anyway. So we're best to things like financial services, which are in completely intangible products. So, yeah. so from that 
perspective. We are the buyer and they are, you know, we are their client, if you like. But um, but what I think what I think we should do, and and again, this comes down to what government should be doing, is we should be investing in ourselves. We sold off our power companies, we sold off our water companies to 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 European companies. Why did we do that? Why didn't we just invest in our own? And why does it take the European Union to tell us that we shouldn't pour shit into our water. I mean, it's it's just phenomenally bad. Well, uh, it, it kind of suggests that we can't manage ourselves. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, but that that's that's not a problem with Europe, and and that's a problem with government, the heart of government, and that government mm. should be voted out, and we should get a government in that supports mm. not doing that. And so that that's a different, we, completely different but the, well, proposition. There is some background to this, to the sewage thing. So the reason apparently this has become an issue is because we're not able to treat the water as we used to. The reason we can't treat the water as we used to is because we are unable to get the chemicals. The chemicals are delayed as part of the Brexit HGV crisis. So this is where I'm, I'm. I'm reading this this joined up sequence of events that's led okay. us to be well, that, in the shit. That is re- that's a very interesting point. But but I'd also like you to to know so there is something going on in the world with regard to there's an index that you, you may want to have a look at. It's called the Baltic Dry Index, and it's the cost of shipping across um, various shipping lanes in Asia. And we get all our you know goods from Asia pretty much. And that's had a high not since 2008. So the cost has been phenomenal to shift things around because of COVID. And, and that's a so global problem, not a, a UK Exactly. It's, problem. A, it's, it's, it's global. You've heard about the chip problem. That's got nothing to do with Brexit. That's got everything to do with COVID and the shipping problem. So, mm-hmm. so shipping problems exist. That means natural gas can't be shipped um, because it is. It's liquefied and, and shipped to European countries from America who are an exporter. That can't happen either. So hence, natural gas goes through the roof. So there, there are other reasons at play that could be causing this. Now, I'd like to... to, get, to sorry, to cut, sorry to cut in, Paul, just, just to, uh, to, to add to that list. To give you an idea of how nonsensical and bullshit these things are, the world's third largest freight hub in China closed because of one instance of an employee with covid the, the, well, what is going on globally is beyond mass psychosis this is it's it's like half the world has gone mentally ill but let let's say that um let's let's be kind and say that this is a short term thing it's the it's the kind of growing pains it's uh, transitory uh, let's say it is transitory <laughs> <laughs> and and whatever these chemical problems marina could be let's say they could be solved let's hope they could be solved there was there was always a potential for us to fall back a bit um as this all gets sorted out but there are many people who are extremely bullish on our future who think that we're going to be powering ahead in the next few years now i'd like to think that we will and when i look at say certain measures like um say the stock market and if I look at the value of sterling, which if sterling was hitting a new low, you know we would hear people saying, oh, it's because of Brexit and all this stuff. And it's hitting relatively good levels against the euro. It's at 118. I think it will break 120 and go up. Um, and, and so I think relatively speaking, on the metrics that are financial, we don't seem to be doing too badly. Now that Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, it's not absolutely awful that that certain things like 
you know, the, the, the problems that you've mentioned with power and sewage are going on and they need to be solved. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But I don't think anyone would argue against that view. I think 100% of people would say that that's, that's got to stop. I think you're you're talking about things from a very macro level, from again from a city city viewpoint, and that's great if there is going to be some some plus points there. Yeah. But what I would say is there is a huge impact when you look at things from a micro level. Mm. How this impacts people who, let's be honest, the the, the cost of the pound, um, the, sorry, the the, the pound ha- has no has very little bearing on the majority of people's lives who aren't investing or or, or aren't travelling or what what have you. Um, when you look at, for example, that we've got inflation rising potentially becoming an issue because we are not we are not high productivity at the moment that like Boris Johnson wants us to be. In fact, we are we are staying productivity productivity levels are staying as is and price prices are rising. So we're going to have a, an inflation problem there. So so you've got all the things at a micro level, which I think impact people far, far more, which is things like, you know, universal credit and the fact that energy prices are soaring, food prices are soaring. Um, uh, and then not to go into the to the side of, you know, of democracy and the fact that that's being chipped away and people are losing their voice. I think there is so much more. Don't get me wrong. And there, that city view is important. And of course, how the city performs is important. In fact, that story that does make me, make me think of the fact that Rishi Sunak, in his um, Treasury announcement on Wednesday, is going to announce the, um, or has he announced it already? He might have leaked it. I know they've got a lovely new approach where they just bypass Parliament entirely. <laughs> um, but they are. He's cutting the um, he, he's cutting the tax rates rates for profit on banks, uh, bank profit. Sorry, right. uh, the taxes are going up for individuals, but they're coming down on banks, which seems entirely the right thing to do for a. Uh, a government seeking popularity. Right. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, but why do they have to do that? So if you look into that, why are they doing that? They've said that they need to do that to keep the city competitive. Why do they need to keep the city competitive? Because in in their Brexit, they failed to secure equivalents, like you mentioned, Tim. So they've got to do something to make it more competitive. And so they're, they're cutting taxes here, which is going to cost the Treasury billions and yet, if you look at actually again, just your average Joe, what's happening to them? Well, their income, uh, their insurance, uh, national insurance is rising, their bills are rising, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Everything is going tits up for them, uh, and that's the government just doesn't look after those people. And they, they, they're the fabric of our society. Absolutely. And the more that we see that that gap widen, the more the problems, um, the more the problems exacerbate. And then let's not throw into that, you know, the issue issue, issue with the NHS, which is on its knees. That, just to come back on on that point, I mean, we are actually agreeing about a lot of things here, and it's just that if you get sort of, if you mention financial, it's it kind of looks like you're just a city boy and you just care about the city and 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 the stock market, and that's really not an impression I want to give. I only mention the pound because, as you say, if inflation is going up, it would go up a lot quicker if the pound was weak. So the fact that the pound is strong is a good thing. But it's also a measure of how other countries view our economy and whether they want to invest here. So I would be alarmed if sterling was crashing towards you know, parity against the euro and going lower. Same thing with the dollar. It, just, it, just to it cut would, in on it, that point, it would just tell. Well, let me just finish, and then you can yeah, cut sure, it. Sure. Uh, it. It would. It would then alarm me that that things are going wrong in this country, and and in terms of finance, certainly. Um, but but yeah, I, I totally get at that the the man on the street needs help, and taxing them higher because a load of money has been spent 
and mismanaged on the COVID crisis, among other things, is is um, is is almost like a slap in the face. And so, and and this this you know, cut for bank profits is is even more so. So I, we we totally agree. I think in in that regard. Sorry, Tim. What what was your point? All I was going to say is the I appreciate the, your point about um, the, the strength of sterling. The only thing I would add is that I saw a piece on Bloomberg earlier today pointing out that I think it was the ninth consecutive year that there have been outflows from the FTSE index. In other words, international investors net-net are selling and not buying UK stocks. That is somewhat concerning, disconcerting. Having said that, I mean, we're value managers, so we actually, at a, at a conceptual level, we actually think, well, that's great. We'll, when that leaves more opportunities for those of us that uh, like buying cheap stuff. But the fact that the fact that the, the UK does not appear to the outside world to be an attractive area for investment in listed companies that that should be of some concern. And don't forget, so that's just um, if we're just talking about financial services. But don't forget what's happened to manufacturing. Yeah, no, that's the whole Absolutely. stock market I'm talking oh, about. Oh, got you right. Fine, it's, sorry. It's outflows of the entire market going right. to other. Basically, it's like the the UK index, the UK stock market has been a net exporter of capital or investment capital in favour of. Uh, it's it, almost certainly it's gone. In I'm thinking it's gone A to America and B to Asia and probably China. Be, be. I mean, who is seeing the UK as a as a place to invest right now? I mean, disaster capitalist potentially, but it's a good, on, it's a, it's a good question. It's a good question. Yeah, I, you know, I I think that we have an opportunity to develop our our tech industry, and um, so many brilliant inventions come out of the um, the universities and develop from there. More more often than not, they could just get bought up by American companies, and and that's it. We don't see them, so. You know, I, I still think that we we could lead the world in certain areas in in tech. I know Israel's got a, a fantastic tech market. I know that the uh, you know that that Dubai is trying to do that as well, and I, you know India is is going to be a really hot area in that regard. But I, I think to be very India's fairly hot most of the time. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> um, here all night. I do bar mitzvahs, weddings, funerals. Thank you, thank you, Tim. Um, but but yeah. So look, the the um, so the potential is there. We just need to unlock it. We need a government that can see that potential. Why does it have to be one or the other? So I completely agree. I think tech is the tech is the future. Sounds so cheesy, but tech is the future, right? We've seen those government ads that that were put out, which were absolutely hammered about the. Um, did you see the ballerina? It was like. Um, basically, telling a little, ch- telling children to give up their dreams of the arts and train in tech. No, um, that's terrible. That that yeah, I... no, it caused a real, st- real stir. But the, the problem is, why does it have to be either or? Yes, that's true. So why is the government needing to decimate industries? Don't get me wrong. Like, of course, there are some manufacturing industries which I'm sure need to evolve and farming um, methods, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we need to keep them in. We can't just hammer them. We can't just, for example, the, the, the Scottish fishing industry, which is on its knees. You've got vessels in Hull, just stationary still, haven't made any money for, for months now. The same with farming, which is about to get you know a, a foot on its throat. All of the pig farmers, all of the poultry farmers, all of the fruit, the, the, you know, the fruit farmers. Why does it have to be either? Why don't you? Why didn't we? Why did we close our doors? Why didn't we make it so difficult for these industries, which do contrib- contribute to society, to our GDP, etc.? Even maybe nominally, but it they're, doesn't they're, they're clearly not. They're clearly not giving enough lobbying uh, donations to the government to protect yeah, their position. No, and this is the problem again with with the darkness 
of, of our government and you know these spokespeople that come forward these lobbyists that come forward who pays for them you know that they're not coming they're not speaking in good faith from from backgrounds that should be trusted and yet they are given platforms on bbc on on wherever and they, their word is taken as gospel and this is part of the problem why, why we're in this mess what about you mentioned a good point about the the, the fishing um of in the uk i i thought a lot of our waters were being fished by european countries like spain and, and france and that was that was a problem and it was a it was a you know there were many fishermen who wanted to vote out um because mm-hmm. of that it has, well, you might you might remember that that sequence in the, the run-up to the the referendum when uh, Farage was on a, a boat down the Thames, and then Bob Geldof was flicking the V's at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I, d- I didn't follow the campaign that closely, to be honest. But 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 what was um? W- do you know what's happened so, since, Marina? So so I don't know the, all of the details, but what mm. I do know is how how can you right say for example we get the rights of all of our fishing waters right yeah. but we've excluded ourselves from the trading block on our doorstep if you look at the catch uh, what we catch as a country the majority of the fish that we catch we export a lot of us um a lot of the, the fish that we catch we don't even eat in this country i think it's things like um gosh i can't remember now but it's, it's types of fish that are just not big sellers here so it, it's a lovely idea that you know that we do that and we have it all for ourselves but it's there's no point it's basically like going onto a football field and taking the ball home and playing on your own you need to be able to export to your your neighbor on your doorstep your biggest market on your doorstep and we've essentially closed the doors on that but not yeah, not to sound, not to sound over, overly parochial but basically it's our fish it's our it's our waters i think i'm right in saying we have the most rich fishing waters of any country in europe Wonderful, but we don't consume enough. But that of it. doesn't matter because, as, as you say, we need to be able to we need to be able to sell it to the people who want to eat it. So exactly. it, it makes no sense to 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 create a good if it can't be consumed. So if if we don't eat it, and I and I like fish as much as the next person, but if we're not going to eat it, no, we sell it to people who can. But the point the point this is not a point about um should we have a fishing industry because clearly we should. The point is who gets to fish in the first place, and it's the point of it's our water, so it's our fish, and Europe can fuck off. But sure, but but surely, surely we, you know, they want the fish, and we've got the fish. But surely, exactly surely, surely we can work this out. I mean, we should be able to work this out. It shouldn't be it like would be e- it would be easier to work this out if government got out of the fucking way. So this is the whole problem I have with the whole Brexit thing. It's, it's like the idea that we need you know, it, that, tr- that that businesses need government to facilitate trade. Government is a is a vestigial appendage. Government is government is the, is the problem, not the solution. The natural state. This is the classic Adam Smith. The natural state of humanity is to want to trade. Originally, we did it with barter, and since then, we've developed money, so we can we 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 can um, trade more efficiently. So, Tim, that's a lovely way of thinking. But how how do you, so? Let's let's pretend government steps out of the way here, right? Yeah. How do the Scottish fishermen? How do they go, right, okay, we're just going to start trading with um, I don't know, France. We're going to start selling our fish to France. Well, they start because, selling their fish to France and government but, can, but, can fuck off out of it. Okay, okay, our government stepped out of it, but we've got the fact that France is part of a, is a member state of the EU. And well, they maybe the EU is the problem rights. here and not the solution. Yeah, I mean... The, it, the EU's become a problem now. Yeah. No, it was always a problem. It was originally designed as a free trade area and it morphed into a political union. This is the whole nature of the problem. We were basically sold a pup. I was too young. I was born in 69. I was too young to vote in the first 
referendum, which is effectively a confirmation of existing membership. But the point is that was the uh, it was a free trade area. It was a common market specifically. It's only over a course of years that it morphed into a political union. And that was not what we joined. So the reason I feel so strongly about this, I was too young to vote in the first place. But when I did have a vote in 2016, I said, well, I know exactly how I feel about this. Europe can go fuck off and we will reclaim our rights to do stuff that we've always been able to do. We are a trading nation. We are a maritime nation. We are good at this stuff. And as an Austrian economic sympathizer and a free trade um, uh, uh, sort of free trade libertarian, the natural state of things is that government should be as small as, as possible. The problem with the EU, and I, I can say it in a handful of words, big government is bad for everybody. The only people who benefit from big government are the politicians inside big government. Government should be as small as humanly possible. The libertarians believe in sound money, small government and libertarian principles, the rights of the individual. And the tragedy of our time is that we don't have any of those things. I would disagree with you there. Well, we agree to disagree. It, I mean, it, it is interesting. If you if you look at history and when the Dutch ruled the world, they, they ruled it because of the merchants that created the trade across the world. And it was nothing to do with the governments. And as soon as the government stepped in, everything started to go wrong and did go wrong, which is why they no longer rule the world. And it could have been... Again, I've got no idea of that. That I would look into, I need to look into that chapter in history, Paul. Yeah. But I, my, my only worry with this, this libertarian um, approach is, it sounds brilliant, but it, it, it tends to... It sounds to, brilliant because it, it is brilliant. Uh, but Tim, who, who benefits? Who benefits? Everybody from- benefits. Everybody, Everybody benefits from free trade. Even, even the people right on the bottom rungs, they benefit, do they? Everybody benefits from free trade. The I'll, I'll give you an example. At the moment, um, Asia... Everyone benefits from free trade, and we've just voted away our ability to do free trade. No, no, we've, no, we've done exactly the opposite. That's the whole point. We have What we've done is we voted to have free trade with the rest of the world, which we were prevented from doing under... EU membership, and the rest of the world is growing a lot fucking faster than Europe is. Europe is in recession, and it's on a one-way spiral down the gurgler. This sorry, is the whole we, point sorry, about Brexit. We had, we had deals with countries around the world via our EU membership. Now, are you saying that we weren't able to go in and, and have separate deals with them while we were an EU member state? Yes. That's my understanding of what and which, EU membership and which, meant. And which, what, which countries do you think we are we, we really miss out on? And you know, I'm really glad that we're out now because we can have those deals with them. I, I'm not a free. I, you know, I'm not a, a negotiator of trade deals. What, all I'm saying is, the rest of the world is growing faster than Europe is, and the reason Europe isn't is growing is not growing at all. It's because of the EU. If you lash together twenty or disparate cultures and enforce a a, 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 moan, a mean of compliance. Uh, across all of those countries, you stagnate economic growth. It's as straightforward as that. How, how does how does I just don't understand how it stagnates it? What it's done is it's allowed trade freely to to operate within. It's, it's all not of a free. Is, this is the whole misnomer. It's not a free trade area. It's a it's a regulatory system. It's more like a trade and tariff area. It's the rules and those the, regulations. <laughs> Sorry, that lost. But those regulations that are in place, do you not see that there is some good to come from them? Now, again, I don't know. No, the no, no. I think I think there are certain areas. Uh, it comes back to the role of government. What should government be for? I would suggest, I would humbly submit that the role of government is to provide street lighting and in extremists an army and everything else. It should fuck off. The, the, uh, the private sorry. sector can. So, so what? So, so what's your thoughts on on uh, welfare, for example? 
I, I'm not anti. I'm not an anti-welfare state, but what I'm saying is all this stuff should happen at a localized level. We had about probably two or three years ago now, we had a, a German guest on the pod, Jürgido Hulsman, who's an Austrian school uh, economist and a professor in Fr- in France. And at the end, of, I was really struck by this. At the end of the discussion, we I asked him if you could if if you could change one thing about the nature of government, what would it be? And I was expecting him to answer in monetary terms because you know that's like economics. And he said, no, government should get out of education. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. My 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 humble submission is everything that government touches turns to ash. It is the anti-crisis. Government should be as small as humanly possible. And that's 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 where I stand on this stuff. I appreciate other people think differently, but I think that the outcome of the last couple of years will turn out to be that people will say, you know what, the reason this COVID crisis was so disastrous is because government got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was a disaster. What what it also means, just to just to sort of add a side note to that, Marina, is potentially that it, it doesn't mean that companies can do what they want. It just means that if they step out of line, they get sued. So the, it's a level so, playing field because the problem at the moment, and, and you see this in financial services, which is clearly a topic close to my heart because I work as my day job, is t- take the banking system. The, the, the incumbent banks um, basically have made it impossible for new entrants to, to enter that, that business. So if you're a challenger bank, good luck getting a banking license. It's almost impossible. The only reason for that is so the incumbents can continue to do what they're, they're doing. It doesn't. The happy news for people thinking, about, well, maybe I don't want to own bank stocks, which they shouldn't is it doesn't matter because the likes of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and the blockchain are going to blow the banks away. The banks will not exist in 10 years' time. And I say good riddance to bad rubbish. The, the market, it's, it's like, I don't know if you, you know um, Jurassic Park. Do you know uh, Jurassic Park, the I mean, film? Not many years, but sure. <laughs> so if you remember the Jeff Goldblum character, the scientist, yeah. he says, nature finds a way. It's the same way in market terms. The market finds a way. So the market will, the, the invisible hand, to quote Adam Smith, will deliver the goods. Government, the best role of government is just get out of the way. And that's not to say we don't have a welfare state, because I believe in welfare state for people who fall between the cracks. But, but the government, this is, this, is, this is my creed occur, government should be as small as humanly possible. Government is the problem, not the solution here. But at the moment, what we don't have is capitalism so anybody who thinks this we is have ca- crony capitalism. we have crony capitalism which is a completely corrupted system so you know i i don't think there's there's um this is i i think where we could all be in agreement that the system is not working you know we, you can't have it you can't have a system where you know in order to become a fund manager you've got so much red tape that only the big fund managers can exist same with you need a compliance department with five thousand people in it, and 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 mm. the same with the banks, and same with everything else. You have you know takeover after takeover, and then too big to fail, and then you know the government being held hostage because the the you know all the banks are going to crash because they got rid of all the regulation that they shouldn't have done because of crony capitalism. It's it's um what we're seeing now is a, is is a product of too much. Uh, control by too few and the the true beauty of capitalism is is when there are small players lots of small players that have their own interests but the system as a whole um, prevents any one player 
becoming too big and controlling. And and the worst possible outcome is when the government and these big players get together and they end up controlling everything, which sounds very conspiratorial, but it's kind of what's good. Which is also why I feel like this government is only really working for what the top 2% of people. Um, I, I think this government's only working for the top one percent of the top one percent. This is yeah, this is a government that is serving right. plutocrats yeah. and billionaires and nobody else. Agreed. And I also would suggest, for the sake of argument, that this government is going to be out of office within a matter of months. I hope you're right, although I don't know what's going to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good well, question. That, that, therein lies that therein hangs a tale. Mm. Well, have you have you thought about politics yourself, Marina? Have you ever thought about going in? About getting into it? Yeah. I, I have, and I've spoken to um, um, I've got a few MPs that I speak to just um, on a on a friendly basis. Um, it's just so. <laughs> thing is, I know it sounds really awful, but I feel like you need to have money to get into politics. Um, because what am I going to do? Step down? You certainly, from don't, you certainly don't need principles. You don't need principles. Don't current, current spine. <laughs> no, actually, no. I, I say that when I'm talking about probably you know. 80, 80, of, 80 of the seats in, in uh, oh no, sorry, however many, goodness me, how many Tories do we have sitting in the House of Commons? I speak about those people because we've seen now that they don't represent their constituents. They they just follow the whip and they do as they're told, which is to me is pointless. What's the point in having an MP if they're not going to represent their constituents? No, but for me it was, um, it, it, you know, you have to start at the bottom and I am, let's be honest, I'm, I'm 37. I've just had my first child. Do I have time now to step into politics and work my way up going to local constituency meetings and talking about things like, you know, bin collections and stuff like that? I don't. And will I be affected doing that? No, because those aren't the issues that, that I'm interested in, I'm passionate about. I'm interested in the bigger issues. So how do, how do I uh, try and shift the dial there? I don't know. I seem to be getting some traction on Twitter. I seem to be helping out and doing some speaking work in Westminster later, um, this month for the excluded which you know the guys that have been given soddle during um during covid in fact i'd be keen tim to understand what your um your views are on on furlough um given that you want you know, government to be as little as possible uh, well if, if government had been as little as possible then furlough wouldn't exist so i'm I'm being asked to defend a policy that i would never have introduced in the first place but i would i would i would never have introduced lockdown either the thing i can't understand or believe about this this whole mess is that the government had a a, 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 um, a pandemic preparedness plan prior to COVID, and then it just threw it out the window and listened to the um, socialist and communist stooges at Sage. Sage is not a scientific body. Sage is full of uh, sociologists and and cunts like um, Neil Ferguson. Pardon my French. Um, so, so, what do you think their plan should have been? What, what should the response have been from government? Well, I don't believe there was ever a pandemic to begin with. I think this is a weaponized flu. But then if we start on COVID, we'll never talk about anything else. Goodness me, we've gone right down the rabbit hole here. <laughs> so let, let's just um, let's take another kind of view of this, Marina. Do, do you think that politicians aren't, aren't paid enough? And because how are we going to track people into this area? And, and what could you do to, to, to make uh, well, to improve our political system, what, what, how should it work? Do you think? Um, I think politicians are, are are paid enough. I actually do think there should be some sort of um, grading because I don't I don't think it's fair if you're lifelong, you know, devote your life to that profession and you stay on that salary the whole time. I mean, I, I know they have quite. Um, you know, quite lovely increments. Um, but I actually don't think that's right, especially if you're going to try and attract the best. And I also think it should be, um, if not their sole job, 
I think the second job that they hold should not be a huge conflict of interest, which is what we're seeing with like Sajid Javid, for example, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, works with, with these huge healthcare companies of whom it benefits the NHS to just fall apart so they can buy out in bits and pieces. That to me is absolutely ridiculous. The same with Jacob Rees-Mogg, um, who's got all these interests in you know tobacco companies and this, that and the other, or energy companies having a yeah. say um, on these sorts of matters and, and you know these laws. The same with our ridiculously overinflated House of Lords. The amount of conflicts of interest that we've got there is insane. Um, so I just feel like people should be attracted into that role for the right reasons. Like, why have we got... Look at Do- Jack... Uh, Zach Goldsmith, for, for fuck's sake. Sorry. It's your fault, Tim. You've got me swearing. Um, <laughs> well, that's, 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 that's the, the father idea. of Boris's latest child we're talking well, about. Well, exactly. So why why does... When I was younger, I was stupid enough to think that people went into politics because, Jesus, they're really good people. They, they, they're they doing... They want to make the country better. They want to make their communities better. I turned... I think it must have been about a few years ago. I realised... No, people get into politics to raid the public purse and to mm. bend policy, to shape policy Absolutely. to enrich them and their own. Why on earth is the son of a billionaire, Zach Goldsmith, the failed MP uh, who didn't get his seat, but, you know, it doesn't, work, it doesn't matter because... But it did, uh, did, did impregnate the Johnson. Prime Minister's wife. So he's got that going for him. So here's a question, Marina. Um, what do you think this current government... I, I, actually, I'm not going to call it a government. I'll call it a regime. It's a rogue regime. What do you think this current regime is going to be known as described as in future? In other words, like, in, in the past, we've had things like the, you know, the rump parliament and the, you know, this and the, that. What do you think it's going to be known for? What, what, how do you think people in the future are going to describe the Johnson administration? I don't know what the term's going to be. I wish I could have the foresight to come up with something nice and catchy, but I think they're going to be known for industrial scale levels of corruption. I, 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 would, I would humbly submit the damned parliament. Oh, I'd love that. Damn. Oh, no, I don't, you know what? I don't think it goes far enough, Tim. I think it needs to be more cutting than that. The bloody damned parliament. Actually, <laughs> Paul, in the interest of, of diversity, uh, I, could you drop a C-bomb just so we were all on the same no, page? No, no, yeah? no, I'm not going to do that, just for the sake of it. I, I, I actually refrain. Or, I or do, something, something else, There's something saucy. I refrain from using the C-bomb unless it's really, yeah. really required. But do you know what? This 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 conservative government, they absolutely they do. They're definitely if a big C in conservative. If anybody warrants it, it's these guys. Mm, I agree. But... Um, Sorry to press the point, Marina, but I'm really, I'm really interested in the the idea that we give you all the power and we say, right, you fix the system. How would it work? Like, do we get rid of proportional representation in voting? Is is it the voting we system? Put that, we put that in. We get, so, I mean, we get, sorry, we get yeah, rid of first past the post. That's what I meant. Sorry, yeah. We, we, it's a completely antiquated system yeah. and it benefits the people in power and the benefit of people well, the people in power are just going to rig the system even more in their favour which is what we're seeing now with the elections bill uh, there is no problem with you know, uh, voter fraud it, I think there were five cases or something last year um, and yet they are spending millions to disenfranchise hundreds of thousands potentially more voters and who are those voters going to be they're not bloody Tory voters um, and they're also doing their you know reshaping of the constituency boundaries and they're making it difficult for smaller parties to raise funding while on the other hand they're allowing you know these people expats that live off um, in their tax havens to donate as much as they want to the Tory party for as long as they want. It's absolutely ridiculous. Why? If you do not live in this country for a certain amount of time, why the fuck should you be able to donate to a party 
and shape our laws. You don't even live here. It's like our, our media barons, for goodness sake. This is, again, why we're in the problem, the, 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 you know, in the, the shit that we're in is because we've got these people controlling the media. They don't even live in this country. So, and yet they just want to protect their, protect their billions. So wouldn't it be better just to play, you know, not devil's advocate, but surely you're sort of talking Tim's argument that the government shouldn't be there. Wouldn't it be better? What, it, what's worse? Well, I, what's worse? A government that's corrupt or no government? Why, why does a government become corrupt, Paul? Well, because of money, because of big business. Big business because is too big. It's, it's control, it's control of, of, of our finances that, that creates the corruption because they have the ability to spend at will where they want to spend at will with, without... Um, and, and companies can, can basically lobby their interests to the government by giving the government money. And right, then so there's, 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 sorry, carry on. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's it's fairly simple. It's, that, that, that's it. So, Paul, there, there, for example, what you've highlighted there is a huge thing. I actually think if there was a massive overhaul of party funding, you would halve the problem because this is where we've got, for example, these billionaires being able to buy their way into these, what are they called, special committees. If you donate over a quarter of a million pounds every year to the Tory party, you become one of these, you know, on these special committees, you go to these dinners, and you can get access to all of these ministers. I didn't Take even know that, that existed. Away. I didn't even know that yeah, existed. Absolutely does. Absolutely did did does. you know that, Tim? Um, I don't know the logistics, but um, I can believe it goes on. I mean, I don't think you need to spend that much, to be honest. I think these guys will basically uh, spread their legs for a bag of chips. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. <laughs> I, I think the, the return on investment they saw, I think it was like if you um, invest... Twenty-five grand or something in the Tory party, and you got yourself a COVID contract. Then you did extremely well. Uh, your return on investment was, uh, you know, up through the roof. So, I mean, I, I mean, I happen, I happen to have an arch view on this, which I accept. You know, many people probably, probably everybody won't share. Which is, I, I'm not sure that the either the Conservative or Labour parties will survive this crisis because they both aggressively mandated lockdown, and lockdown has no scientific. Um, backing or credibility whatsoever. It's basically we are at war with our own government. So I say fuck them. Yeah, but the the problem is that um, who who comes in and if they well, if they're controlling is, the system. Is, so this is the question. So this is the question that that. So if you if you buy into my my thesis that the current murderous Johnson regime will be defenestrated within the not too distant future, then the open question is what kind of government could possibly follow. The one I would like to see would be a basically grassroots, probably coalition of like, let's let's call it a government of national unity or uh, truth and reconciliation or something along those lines. But it would have to be, to make sense, it would be localized, it would be grassroots, it would be bottom up, and it would, it would have nothing to do with the existing party structure. Because I don't think those party structures are fit for purpose anymore. We've just been legged over royally by the the government over the last two years where we've now got a rogue government that's basically effectively turned into the nazi party um the media is complicit in this so no one's seeing the truth the only way you can even find out about the tiniest aspects of this on the fringe are through platforms like twitter because the bbc I, i'd add the bbc is not going to survive this either and good riddance no, to bad not. rubbish there too just speak out and actually do their job before so this this it, would all be over the moment this will all be over, the moment somebody in the mainstream media grows a fucking pair of balls. But right. so far, no one appears to be able to do that. So in the absence of that, 
the State of the Markets podcast is valiantly jumping into the ring and, and doing it for them. Balls not Tim, though. You say about growing balls, and I've talked about this as well, right? But these people's careers, livelihoods, the whole existence of the BBC depends on them playing ball. Yeah, but there, there comes a point in, in, in your time when you have to think, uh, is this a hill I'm willing to die on? And this is a hill I'm willing to die on, personally. And I mean that in, a, in the most literal sense, imaginable. But, you know, this is why I, I, I reached out to you, Marina, because I, I, I was in awe. You knew it was going to be, so, you knew it was going to be saucy, Paul. <laughs> well, absolutely. You haven't got started yet. Absolutely. No, I mean, no, we're just warming up. You know, you, you've been so vocal. And I think um, that's incredible in this. Whether we agree or disagree about Brexit or whatever, you, I, I respect the fact that you are out there every day. You are trying to draw attention to what you feel the government are doing wrong. And that is just an incredible thing to do. I can't help myself. It's a brave, it's a brave, it's a brave thing to do, but, you know. Also, the content just keeps coming. And I just feel, I feel like what I try to do, at least, is make it relevant. Make it a little bit excited. Like you said, Tim, make it saucy. Because otherwise, people just switch off. It's so dumb. Like my friends roll their eyes at the politics chat. But... Jesus Christ, this stuff is massive and it is, it's getting out of control. Like this, this isn't a government anymore. This, we have lost, like they can pass any law they want now. Yeah. Like, like it's, like, it's, like, it's like the enabling law under the, under the Germans in the 1930s. They can do whatever they like. Exactly. That's where we are now. So, it's actually quite frightening. So, so again, what, what, what can we, what can we do? Can we, we can vote or, or, I mean, the, I'm just I'm not sure. I'm not sure that works. Not sure that works either. Firstly, we will have another general election. That's an open question. We will find out. But, but I mean, you look at the example in the U.S. and without wanting to sort of talk, without wishing to poke Marina, I would also say um, Trump won the last election, but it was it was it was robbed from him, and that will be reversed in due course as well. We're we're living in a fantasy politics era. Sorry, Tim. You believe that it was robbed. Yeah, I believe that Joe Biden is not the rightful president of the United States of America. But based on what? Based on the fact that Trump was popular, Biden's an idiot, he's a dement- demented moron, um, Biden has no popular support. Okay, um, but was the vote stolen? Well, yeah, was- I think it's done, done through te- technological grift. But again, this will all be rectified in the forms of time, I suspect. But again, I appreciate these all sound like rabbit hole perspectives, but... You have to ask why, when Joe Biden turns up to an event, no one's there, whereas Trump is w- still wildly popular. Because, it, it, because um, unfortunately, and I do see much, um, much of this mirrored in our own politics, we are in a place now where it, it's gone, it's gone down a showbiz route. People want characters, people want personality, and I Joe, hate to say Joe this, Biden is just a creepy, a creepy guy. He's not a, uh, not a showbiz character. Yeah, so so I'm saying he's, I'm saying. That's what Trump is. That's what Boris is. People, unfortunately, there's a dumbing down of the electorate. And they just want someone that sticks out because they've got funny hair or they go and have a pint with him or he says that shit that I wish I could say or he says it like it is. And unfortunately, that's where we've got. We need people to be like Keir Starmer. Like, don't don't get me wrong. I wanted big things from him. And I feel like he's letting me down (laughs) or letting that, you know, people that want to vote Labour or support Labour. He's letting us down. His approach, unfortunately, it's like Gordon Brown. Like, dumb, right? Uh, this is why Tony Blair was a little bit of a hybrid. He was, you know, he was uh, the nuts and bolts and he was the, the, the logical thinker. And, but he also was a bit likeable. There was a little bit charm to him. Unfortunately, Keir Starmer hasn't got that. And then the other side of the coin, you've got Boris Johnson, these big personalities, funny, holds up a kipper and t- tells a joke and everyone bloody laughs. 
and the same with Trump. They and they appealed. They're populist, right? So they appeal to this huge, very vocal, very angry base who do go out and vote. Unfortunately, on the other side of the coin, you've got the people that, you know, are less likely to go out and vote. And again, don't forget that what the far right do, they don't even necessarily want you to try and vote, but they try to just dissuade the other side from voting. So make it seem that there's zero chance. And that's that's a huge strategy that, again, is playing on, on both sides of the Atlantic. I'm not. I'm. I, I would take issue with the the framing of a that this is like a right versus left thing. Again, I'd come back to basically it's all about the size of government itself. Mm-hmm. For me personally, the right left thing died on the vine years ago. the The only question that matters now is whether you believe in bigger government or smaller government. And now, in the light of our own experience here in the UK, I now believe in no government. I can't see a route to that anytime soon, Tim. I think we're going to see a general election. Well, I think I think, I think Guy Fawkes had the right idea, and we are we are coming up to the fifth of November after all. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Have you got anything planned? <laughs> I, I probably probably I'd better not say, even though I can already hear the black helicopter circling. <laughs> I actually think there's probably many people that feel quite similar. I feel like we're at um, and, and actually I I saw someone write something very funny on Twitter saying that actually for the first time they're seeing Guy Fawkes as the hero. <laughs> Well, he always was the only person that ever entered Parliament with honest intent. Mm-hmm. But that is that is also the other thing about all of this. Um, and it's what's been going on in social media. A, a lot of this is to get people to fight with each other and to not look mm. at the big problem. There is, Divide there, and conquer. Exactly. There is, although we don't agree on everything, the one thing we do agree is the government's not doing a good job and things need to change. And it's an alarming situation. And there are many people out there who who aren't taking an interest, who should. Mm, agreed. I think people have just also, they feel like there's no way out. Like, what's what's the point? What's the point? So they don't turn up. And again, it's because, like, it's a failed system. We've got this two-party system that doesn't work. And actually, I think the proportional represent, representation approach could actually be that route, Tim. It could be a bit of a, a reconciliation between, mm. you know, um, because I think proportional representation means smaller government because there isn't going to be able to be this huge clout well, on, on that i'm sort of sympathetic because because uh, the way i've always interpreted proportional representation is basically nothing ever gets done which sounds great <laughs> to me as a naturally conservative person i mean i've heard better things about it i'm sure there are uh, again i'd have to look into this but there are some countries doing fairly well off the back of it it just means yeah, i mean it, 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 italy is uh italy is an example of pr isn't it paul um I don't know, actually. It's a. It's I, all I, I know. It's I a bloody mess. So, I just, well, <laughs> most EU well, there you go. Quite a random right? random. Sorry, Marina. What, what was that? I, I believe most most EU. I, I think we're one of very few, a very few hand like a handful of countries that actually do still use first past the post. I think the majority are proportional representation. I, I personally, I, I, it seems to be such a travesty that such a farce that you basically the the choice in the UK is basically what do you want Tory or Labour because that's that's all that's on offer and you have yeah. these other parties but basically they're not going to look in. So I I I, I foresee, personally foresee all kinds of extraordinarily dramatic tectonic shifts happening uh, once we get through this crisis. And one of them is going to be the political system is is never going to be the same again. I even wonder whether the nation, the concept of the nation state is going to survive this mess. I think it will. I, th- I think ultimately it will. It I th- might, it might, but I think all of these pr- prior assumptions are going to be, are going to be tested or at least revisited because I think everything's going to change. I think people are going to be so enraged once they find out what's been going on. 
during the COVID crisis. Who are going to find out? I, I love your optimism, but I just don't. I don't think people are going to find out. I think it's going to take a long time. I, th- I feel like my, you know, my ten-month-old kid is going to be probably studying this in his in history classes at some point. But mm. I can't see it happening anytime soon. They've just got too much control. What's going to happen? What are you seeing? I, 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 I'm subject to. I'm I'm privy to unpublished price sensitive information, so I'm afraid I can't reveal my sources. It's me. I feel like I need to know that. <laughs> yeah, it's, come on, Tim. That's not fair. You've you've got to let us know. Let's put it this way: we're on a mission from God here, people. <laughs> God into it. So. Marina, um, was there anything else you wanted to add uh, or, or say on the subject of Brexit, politics, markets or, or, or anything else? No, and I think it's actually really interesting that Tim and I have obviously got some, some wildly different views. And yet we found common ground on yes, a lot of stuff. And I just hope that there's enough of us out there that just think the government's doing a really shit job and they need to go. And there's a route, there's an there's a, there's a, an action that we can take to do that. Because at the moment, I, I feel like I've got my hands tied. Yeah. Everybody feels the same. Well, exactly. I mean, that's why I was asking the questions of what what should we do? Because it's 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 so... It's, it's easy to pick holes in the government at the best of times, and especially now. But finding solutions, I always wonder what I would do if I was given the power. It's like the taxi drivers who always know how to run the country and then say to them, OK, what, what would you do then? So but, so what I would do, honestly, and this might feel just too uh, common sense, but there needs to be an alliance between the parties, a formal alliance between the opposition parties. They need to get the Tories out. But the opposition, the opposition is not an opposition party. Sorry, I'm just saying the opposition is not a functioning opposition because all they're doing is taking conservative policies and saying you should have done them even even more aggressively and quicker. The Labour Party is a non-functioning opposition. Tim, but we're we're moving past that though. Say say we can't the other side, which we hopefully do, and COVID is is a hopefully a memory. Um, You know, there's a lot of other things that these the Greens, the Libs, that Labour are are talking about um, that are positive. Um, and we just need to get those people in the in the power seats and the Tories out, and then we can go from there. Great. Okay. So um, on that note, I think we should go to media picks. Unless Tim, there was something else that you wanted to add to no, that. No, no, no. I've 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 I've, I've been bu- bullishly barging my way through the conversation like a bull <laughs> through a china shop yeah. for the last hour. So With I'm your sea bombs. I'm willing to get back in my box. <laughs> Um, I'm sure people want good. another hour of this, but I don't. I don't know. <laughs> We're here all night, therapy. folks. It's been like therapy, this. I can't do this, with my friends. Well, there you I go. You see, I was worried that we were taking up too much of your time, Marina. But I, I thought. No, I, for an hour. <laughs> I thought you. I thought you would enjoy it because you know, because yeah, everybody you know likes a good old ding dong, and and um and that's what we've had. So. But at the heart of it, I know that we we agree on stuff. That that's the thing. That's why I was so interested in getting your view because, you know, I I don't want this podcast and I don't want my own views to be always in an echo chamber. I want to hear other people's views and why they think what they think. And it's interesting that the roads lead to the same point. But um, but on on that note, well, we will go. If you've got something for the media pick, that would be great. I can ask Tim what he's got first to give you a bit of time to think. Oh, I've got one. Oh, brilliant. Okay, yes. what is it? So my media pick, although I'm yet to see the third series, is Succession. So I've seen the first and second series. It's a HBO, I think it's on Atlantic, Sky Atlantic, but it is awesome. Basically, it's um, just like it. It's a family dynasty, media dynasty, and it's based loosely on the Murdoch family. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it is awesome to, to arrest watch. you in the background, Marina. You've said too much already. Oh gosh, I have. Sorry, all right, I won't say anything else. 
No, 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 no. I'm just, I was being facetious. Ah, okay, fine. Honestly, do watch it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's very dark. Probably the best series I've ever watched. Oh, wow. And then if you actually want the uh, the real life thing, then the BBC documentary, I think it's like a, it might be like a two or three bit, if I remember rightly. Yeah. And it's the Rise of the Murdoch Dynasty. Yeah. And I, I think it's just oh, it's brilliant watching. I mean, it's gripping and it makes you, you know, just hate the state of things. Like you say, we live in a cagistocracy. Have you seen Mother, and Father, Son? The fact that this guy... Sorry? Have you seen Mother, Father, Son? No. Okay, I think that was based up upon Murdoch's. Um, but it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was just a, it was a, a, about a media mogul and, and it was pretty good. It's some brilliant acting, but, um, but Succession I had not heard of. So that's a really... You must watch it. It's absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Got Brian Cox in, not, not the one who says, oh, let's fly a helicopter into space, but the other one. Okay, brilliant. So Tim, and he does a lot of swearing, probably about Tim's level of swearing. <laughs> Super. So Tim, what's yours? So mine, mine for this week is um, a film I watched. Uh, what day is it now? It's Monday, so I watched it yesterday. Um, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, uh, which I think I saw on Prime, Amazon Prime, uh, from a book by Peter Biskind. Uh, the subtitle: How the Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll Generation Saved Hollywood. It's basically a documentary, and I think I sent you a, a message about it, Paul. Yes. If you haven't seen it, that you might enjoy it. Um, it's basically a documentary about 70s films. So I was born in 69, which means I basically saw quite a lot of 70s films at the time uh, as a sort of a, a prodigy child genius that I was, of course. And um, uh, what you realize when you see this documentary is that Nearly everything made in the 70s was completely and utterly unwatchable because everyone was out of their face on drugs at the time. Um, and that carried on into the 80s. But um, it's a fascinating documentary because it starts with basically Hollywood in the doldrums because they're just doing increasingly bloated musical numbers that nobody wanted to see. And TV was eating their breakfast, lunch and tea. And then Hollywood fought back by basically going a bit punk so it seems like easy. The, the, the title is instructive. So Easy Rider at the start of the decade and then Raging Bull at the end with uh, Scorsese. Mm. But basically the indie, the independent movement basically crashed in. Um, it's a fa fascinating documentary. I'm not sure I learned an awful lot that I didn't already know, but then I'm a boring film buff anyway. Um, but it, for anyone that's less familiar with the 70s as a, as a decade, it's going to be an interesting journey. Um, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, uh, Amazon Prime. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, I've seen the um, Squid Game Netflix series that everybody's talking about. And uh, I, I wouldn't say I'd necessarily recommend it because I think it's a 16 and I just kind of cannot understand how something with such graphic violence can be graded a 16. It's just terrible. And it's also ripped off Battle Royale that the Japs did anyway, but let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so I, I'm, I'm just going to say I've seen it and I don't think it should be a 16 and it's not really what I go for, although I thought the writing was was pretty good. Um, but I'm good. I wanted to recommend uh, a book and uh, so I'm going to. And the, the book I'm going to recommend is by a guy called Tim Marshall and it's called The Prisoners of Geography, 10 Maps That Tell You Everything You Need to Know About Global Politics. Which, well, this sounds good. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. It's just so interesting. Um, it's It just goes from country to country and talks about the geography and why it exists in the way it exists and um, 
it it just opens your eyes both to where why say for example you know china want to control certain shipping lanes and all those things are just like laid out in such simple interesting and um fascinating text and it's like very very readable so i think there may be a new version out um i just seeing he's i'm just having a look at amazon now and it says the Power of Geography uh, is a new book he's just released, which I hadn't seen before, and it's 10 maps that reve- reveal the future of our world. So it's the sequel. So I don't know whether that's better or wh- whether you should read the first one first and then that one. Um, but obviously, the, this first book was written in 2016, so a lot's happened since then. But it's still fascinating. So if you like your your politics and um, you want to learn a bit about geography that's not sort of we talked about education before i think if they taught geography in this way in schools and we're allowed to because i'm not necessarily blaming the teachers again it's the government i think i would have been much more interested in, in geography and um and history so that's my pick you mean your your fire wasn't lit by talks of erosion and uh, those sorts of uh, stunning classes that I had? Yeah, like soil uh, compositions yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I know it's it's amazing, isn't it? Really, <laughs> fantastic. That does that does make me that does make me recall um, the bit from Blackadder when General Malchus going, "God, it's a." bleak unforgiving desert out there and then someone has to say yeah generally you've got the the map upside down (laughs) brilliant well marina um it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and thank you for being such a good sport and and coming on knowing that we've got such different views what i would like to do if if it's okay with you is is set a date sometime in the future just to see how we're doing um on the world stage whether whether the predictions of of the UK go down or whether they go up and goodness me imagine if Tim's prediction comes true wouldn't that be amazing wouldn't that be yeah. amazing um deus vault but it would be it'd be fantastic to have you back to yeah to, so no it's been really fun actually so thank you um i do feel quite uh, chilled now i feel like it's it's like the same effect as, as having a nice big glass of merlot it's cathartic it's cathartic isn't it it really is i feel quite subdued now excellent excellent <laughs> stuff well thank you should bottle it try and bottle it maybe we should launch a fragrance range paul <laughs> <laughs> yeah not quite sure what we'd call it yeah though. well you know um Price, Perkis, I don't know. There's a little uh, van that promotes um, a restaurant near us in North London. And it's, uh, well, I used to, it used to sort of tour the streets. And um, I don't know if the, the, the restaurant survived lockdown, but it was, I think it was called Tastes of the Nile, which I always thought was, was such a funny title. Yeah. Well, it made me laugh, and I appreciate that once again. One of my one of my gags has just gone straight through to the center of the earth. But anyway, <laughs> here all night, weddings, vomits, for funerals. Now, now, Marina, you're on Twitter, and you're very, very active. I think you're more active than Tim, and that's saying something. Um, but are are you anywhere else? And what's your Twitter handle? Uh, so my, do you know, I had to think about that. I think my Twitter handle is Marina Perkis. Yeah. So, P U R K I W S Kiss. Um, and am I anywhere else? Yes, I am. But am I political? No, I'm bloody not. Uh, My Instagram is private. It's just me and basically just frolicking and doing brunches and having doing doing nice things and lots of baby pictures. So no one wants to see see that. And then Facebook, I am slowly just retiring because it's just full of older aunts and uncles just 
flooding it with shit. So I'm just going <laughs> to leave that. It's um, really funny you should say that because I just put a tweet out earlier tonight proving my Twitter credentials at being basically being available for the opening of an envelope. And I said, <laughs> the only people using Facebook now are everybody's grandparents. Yeah, absolutely. But surely they want the baby pictures, though, Marina. And are you they not... do. So I do. I do sort of use it as a bit of a repository, like a, like an album. Mm. Uh, and that's and even now. I can't be bothered with that. I just, oh, I just hate it. Yeah. And cause... I also hate what Facebook stands for now. Well, absolutely. That's another conversation. If they want to see the baby, they should come and see you, right? Let's not be too hasty. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> don't want all. <laughs> you don't want them on mass. <laughs> exactly. No. G- GDPR issues, Paul. Right. <laughs> there we go but look brilliant thank you so much again and um we look forward to that future conversation i think it's gonna be fun it was a pleasure thank you paul thank you tim thank you so much thank you marina take care bye now thanks bye-bye and thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time this podcast is for entertainment purposes only please do your own research or contact a professional advisor